Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to the Genuine Humans podcast. And as ever, I'm here with the lovely Wendy Christie, my co-host. Wendy, how are you doing this week? Very well, thank you. It's Friday and I'm going on holiday this weekend. We're off to Lisbon, so I am mega excited. Oh, that's that's the perfect combination. Oh, I love Lisbon. How fabulous. It looks like it's going to be really hot. Good, 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 good. <laughs> and I've had just a sort of a nice week of being out and about again. It's been great that there are sort of conferences on. There was at Madfest at the week and it's just so lovely to be out there. And talking about being out and about, we're so delighted to be joined today by Joe Savage, who's the marketing director at EMEA of Fitbit. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Joe, I'm going to jump straight in. And what we do with our guests is we go through starting with the the early career days and very much kind of if you could take your time and sort of perhaps share with the listeners how you got to where you are now. All right. Great. Uh, So uh, I can't believe this, but I recently had my uh, 25 year university reunion, which has flown past. So (laughs) I guess that means I'm working for about, say, yeah, 24 years of that. And I uh, started out my early career uh, in Ireland, as maybe you can tell from my accent. Um, I was I was born in Cork and uh, and started in Dublin with Unilever. Back then, it was you know pretty much the the place to be in terms of learning about brands. And uh, spent four years working as uh, under the sort of Dublin office, and then started my international career when I moved to Italy in two thousand and two and worked on European home care, leading innovation. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was invited to go and take up a global position in London then in 2005, um, after three wonderful years in Italy. And uh, then sort of, yeah, finished out my nine-year career at Unilever, having launched uh, a lot of uh, cleaning products, laundry products, Dove deodorants, and, and a lot of really great and interesting, uh, interesting marketing challenges. Fantastic. And was it just Italy that you went to or did you get to sort of move around a little bit? Yeah, so we actually, particularly in the home care business, we had a massive business in um, in Brazil and South America. So uh, probably, you know, some really interesting meetings held in places like Rio um, and Sao Paulo. But we also had um, some very big parts of the global project in, um, in Asia. So, you know, uh, Thailand for us was a really big market, Vietnam, and then, you know, at, at a time moving even into China. So having to kind of optimize a lot of the, the products and the marketing mixes for those those markets was super interesting for me and I got to meet a lot of really interesting people too. Fantastic but very much stayed brand side you haven't uh, drifted over to the agency land uh, just staying brand side yeah? Absolutely not yet never say never but (laughs) I haven't done that yet. So then, you know, I mean, I've, I'm sort of, uh, I guess the theme of my career is after a certain point in time, I do get itchy feet. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every few years it's good to change. And, you know, that's the great thing about marketing anyway. So a blast from the past, uh, I went into to Nokia to uh, to the telco industry at that time. So in, in the massive heyday of, of Nokia mobile phones and when they were expanding. So 
I took up a, a, the role of European go-to-market lead um, and global then global go-to-market lead for, for Nokia. And what that really meant was going into completely new categories like maps, music, yeah. style phones. So I found myself working in Soho, which is probably one of my favorite places on earth. It's uh, just middle of London, one of the most creative spots you could be, but also traveling to you know, a lot of these hugely high growth markets in, in Asia, in Africa, but also in the Middle East and launching all these new great new phones. Um, and of course, the Nokia uh, journey really was a story of two halves, you know, wonderful growth opportunity, great creativity when everything was hugely expanding. Mm. Then a lot of the real turnaround challenges um, in the later days where we had to just totally uh, turn everything on its head and try to go back and um, and recruit younger users. So I had a real experience of turnaround there and it was ultimately acquired by Microsoft, but, um, but you know, a very, very interesting and, and lovely culture to work in. Um, and, uh, and again, quite exciting, but very fast paced, uh, which I like. I think there's a sort of a parallel um, life going on as well, actually, because we had Nokia was one of our early clients. So because I started the, the company back in 2002, but Nokia was such a pioneering company and they were doing a lot around community. And we were, uh, I think we were actually sort of looking after their online community and, and moderating content across God, Wendy, was it about 30 countries or something? It was like a that? lot, a lot of languages. And then also the apps, people could, people that created apps didn't, we, I think we were moderating something to do with that as well. Yeah, really exciting client. There was some really great people that I worked with there, um, like uh, Dan Goodall, Kai Torstila, Steve Noberman. There's a few others who, you know, they're really um, real pioneers, as you said, Tamara. I think it was just really, really um pioneering ahead, ahead of its time actually in a lot of definitely, ways of course definitely. we've all got great fondness for the old 3310 as well <laughs> <laughs> and snake <laughs> <laughs> fantastic and so so from nokia um what what came after that then yeah so i, I actually went off and went to uganda wow. then for a few my months. goodness <laughs> It was either a late gap year or an early midlife crisis, I always call it. But um, I, um, yeah, so I decided to look at, you know, sort of five great years there uh, or maybe four great years and one one very, very hard year, I think. But, um, you know, I decided it's, it's just a great opportunity to give something back. I traveled a lot and seen, you know, that clearly is a very, very big difference between uh, everything we had and and, and we, we enjoyed um, in terms of marketers in the center of London. And so I went off to a place called Fort Portal in Western Uganda for a few months. I used it as a chance to kind of have a break, but also totally reset and and really kind of get a bit of perspective on things. Um, and it was amazing. I I, um, I actually set up, um, rather than working in the orphanages and and in children's learning programs, I actually went kind of my own way when I went over there and set up an adult language uh, learning program. And uh, it's still in, it's still there today. All the stuff we built is still That's there. Amazing. And I'm still involved with that project. And I went into retail when I came back for a year, um, which was which was really great. Argos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I worked there. Uh, for about a year or so and just helped them to try and understand how they how they actually bring in exclusive brands when they're when they're competing with the likes of Amazon with with Curry's and and others you know how do they kind of build their own portfolio of brands so I helped a lot with that strategy I think retail was not maybe the long-term home for me um so I sort of um jumped out of that and went into something that was very different then, uh, which was more of a startup leading smart showers and smart home products. Oh. So a, a complete kind of blank sheet of paper um, in, in a company called Aqualisa. 
so that has been around for a very long time, Acrolisa. But I got the opportunity to be on the board of the company and lead the research and development team. So all of the engineers, all of the software and electronics were all working into me uh, because of my product background um, with Unilever. But it was also um, a case of trying to sell the company and trying to make sure that it was funded for its next mm -hmm. round. So we came out with all sorts of wacky things um, where you could personalize your shower, adjust your shower. Every single person has a different shower profile in the house, like your Netflix wow. profile. And um, it was just a crazy few years, but um, but we ultimately sold the company. And, and yeah, so just a couple of very interesting roles uh, straight after the Nokia challenge. That's quite the experience to go through to sort of take it to actually through to, to sale as well. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, you never forget it. It's, it's such a huge learning experience as well. And just, you know, what you were literally doing is is finding prospect investors and pitching to them as though this is something they're going to buy. You know, it sounds very common sense. But easier said than done, because you have to be able to answer every possible question, Dragon's Den style. Yeah, absolutely. And was there a karaoke shower? Uh, no. And, you know, we so much wanted to come up with that. I think <laughs> um, one of our competitors had a, a sort of shower speakers. But uh, yeah, we were, uh, unfortunately, that was, um, we had to stop somewhere. But, um, <laughs> I'm sure they're going to come up with it quite soon. <laughs> Absolutely. So I can sort of see how all of this is leading towards the sort of uh, towards Fitbit as well, because of the sort of product and the, uh, the technology. Was that an easy choice for you to sort of to, to move over to Fitbit then? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, you know, when I took a little bit of time out and and actually, you know, even when I had a chance to breathe after sort of, you know, nearly 20 years of working, I got a lot into running and fitness and the gym and, you know, it, it, and, and just, just really into wellness. And, uh, you know, I have to confess, I was absolutely not um, into uh, healthy living <laughs> that much when I was traveling all over the world and doing my other roles. But I thought, well, this is a chance to do it. Um, so in a way, kind of, I guess my, my personal life led me to it in that sense. But, you know, there were a couple of other opportunities at the time and, you know, one really wonderful skincare startup and another one that was around uh, kind of hotel and retail, uh, kind of hospitality uh, retail sector and, and then the Fitbit opportunity. And this one just screamed out mm -hmm. to me as I had, at that time I had identified, you know, working with my coach that I wanted to work with teenage brands, if that makes yes. any sense yeah, to you. Yeah. So not startup and not the sleepy kind of, you know, um, late adulthood brands, but really the ones that were on the cusp of needing to be structured better and they're in the next phase of their growth. And it has been a, you know, a wild ride with Fitbit because we were then acquired by Google just three months into my tenure um, there. But um, but so it was an easy choice. And I had examined a lot my reasons for for joining beforehand. So in a way, when there was a few roles on the table, this was a it was an easy yes. Fantastic. And such a great brand. Yeah. Yeah. And so all this move, you know, you've moved around a lot. And I, I think that's I think that's quite brave. Is that something you know, when you were a kid, did your family travel a lot or did you live in, in another country or or you know, where did that come from, do you think? No, actually, not at all. So we were, um, funnily enough, I think uh, we, we um, because we, we actually had a bed and breakfast. So so literally, <laughs> I grew up in the countryside in Ireland, but um, we, um, I suppose, you know, so so genuinely, I think my, my parents didn't have a holiday for 25 years, the poor things, but um, but we, especially, you know, four kids going through university, all that kind of stuff. But but what was really interesting, and I do look back on it as as pretty formative, is meeting different cultures coming through your right. door constantly 
because we were working there since you know, we shouldn't even admit this, but probably since about age eight or nine, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, helping out um, and uh, and just meeting people, kind of, you know, and and you're sort of growing up in a, in a place where anyone from any part of the world could cross your door at any time. So very lively, very interesting. So not a traveling, uh, not in any way a, a youth where I traveled a lot, but I guess. Back then, I, I really resolved that I would I would uh, get out and travel and and really branch out a lot more. So I think it's it's sort of the excitement of it, but also the chance to have you know the opportunity in the future. So, and what were you like as a kid? Probably just uh, well, extremely talkative, as you can probably <laughs> tell. <laughs> I think I've been accused of needing to to use circular breathing when I'm uh, finishing sentences, but um, yeah, so really talkative, really exuberant, chatty, very just a very very happy kid pretty competitive so I was into quite a few sports um and probably a bit obsessive um in that sense about a few sports and then later on you know I guess probably when I needed to be pretty studious and hardworking, to be honest so um that was kind of instilled in us as kids in a sort of a, a quite a clever way that it wasn't sort of like you have to work but just it was really encouraged right. um so um, I think my parents were really keen to to have us get the opportunities they hadn't had so um so yeah, just pretty, uh, pretty chilled out. But at the same time, then when it came to it, you know, really, really studious and lots of energy. And was there a childhood dream that if you were living right now, what would you be doing? Do you know, it, it probably thinking on this one, I'm, I probably would have, you know, maybe it's it's not the wildest of dreams, but probably would have been um, a teacher of some mm-hmm. sort. So I, I think, you know, teacher, professor, and I think it comes maybe with liking to communicate, um, you know, real sort of curiosity and thirst for knowledge. But I really love seeing kind of that spark of learning and development in other people. So probably the, the later dream that I have, you know, once I kind of retire and hang up my, my marketing boots is to go and do some more humanitarian work, you know, in, in, in an underprivileged area. It doesn't have to be Africa again and see if that can then result in, in better teaching and better knowledge sharing and, you know, who knows, I could end up as a tenured professor somewhere if, if anyone will have me. I'm sure they would. But um, yeah, so so probably that was was the childhood dream at the time. And that's a lovely dream. And and listening to you talk about structuring teams and, and you know, having that real understanding of where you want to be and the, and the kind of way in the life cycle, you the, the company is that you that you work at, that, um, that sounds perfect. And when, you know, when you were small, was there anyone in particular that you looked up to, whether it was a teacher or a celebrity or an author? Well, so, I mean, we had we had this incredible teacher called um, Mrs. Dean, Breda Dean, and she's, um, she's a great friend of the family still. And I think I think, you know, with her, it was it was just she was just somebody who was extremely encouraging. So I think that was, you know, from, from no more, no less than than just constant encouragement. I think teachers do have a. A massive influence on you and you know she she struck that really right balance um you know particularly in a mixed school with with sort of a lot of different big personalities of making sure that people who worked really hard got the recognition so you know you really felt like it was it was positively reinforced yeah I, I do think my parents and their work ethic inspired me a lot although I'm I you know I don't have kids myself so I'm maybe it inspired me in the other way not to have as busy a house so not to stay at home and not to have kids basically <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I just don't remember there being a lot of leisure time, but you know we were we grew up really resilient, so I think that's a lot to take from from um you know from a kind of early childhood of be of working hard so um and and you know they they absolutely loved to have fun they were always joking around you know always there for us hugely supportive so I think that's probably another 
kind of, um, you know, I think my parents were definitely inspiring to me. And and as you've gone through your career, you know, similarly, who are the people who have influenced you or supported you or anything you just want to give a little recognition to? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, I think one of the first people who really saw my potential was um, a gentleman called Tom McGowan, who he was the marketing director of Unilever in Ireland. And um, I was kind of withering over as a trainee in one part of the business because I, I really was not into the whole glamorous kind of fragrance and uh, lifestyle side of the business. And I just wanted it, you know, kind of Actually, I just wanted a bit more of a gritty challenge. So you moved me over to maybe for my sins to this sort of much tougher kind of more gritty uh, area of, of laundry and cleaning products and the places where we were really being uh, losing market share and, and helped me get involved in a turnaround there early. But, you know, I was like 24 years old, you know, and, and I think he just saw that I was really frustrated in my role and, and said, look, this could be a bit of a change. And, and ultimately, he sponsored my move to Italy where I then was asked to come and lead the uh, household cleaning business innovation for Europe. But, you know, that was a move I made at 26 years old where I didn't know the language and didn't know anyone. Wow. So I think Tom really helped me, um, I must say, and I just want to give him a shout out. We'll be definitely trying to meet for a beer again soon in Dublin. Now they're all let out. <laughs> and then um, and then I think later on, um, you know, I did want to give a shout out to um, to Stephen Overman, who who for me at Nokia was um, was actually one of the most creative people I've ever worked with. And I think, you know, Stephen was great on two fronts. One is and he will laugh if he hears this, but, um, you know, we would sit and have my appraisal, but he would just throw away all of the, the kind of the business metrics and just go, what are you doing for you? What are you doing to develop yourself? Are you doing your inner work, Joe? And uh, I mean, I laughed about it recently with him, but it was it was just a real nod to say it's not all about just the work. Yeah. And just look after yourself as well. And then secondly, I think creative reviews with him were just like fireworks. We just it was so much fun and always, always, always interesting. So I learned every day, I think, from Stephen. You know, it's many people in my current role, Des Power, my current boss, and, you know, all of all of the senior leadership at Fitbit, James Park. I think a founder led business has a beating mm-hmm. heart and a purpose that it just invites very like minded people. So um, it's genuinely the nicest bunch of people I've ever worked with, I think, in, in Fitbit. That's great. I mean, you spend so much time at work that it's it's so yeah. important to to love the people you work with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If I could just pick up, actually, you mentioned purpose there, Joe. And would you say that your kind of connection with Fitbit and, and you talked about how you sort of changed your own lifestyle, does it make you a better leader that you're really connected to the, the Fitbit purpose? Absolutely, uh, Tamara. Yeah, I, I, I really think so. And um, the, uh, it, I mean, it starts with just using the product and experiencing it and, and, and being able to just genuinely connect with it. So sounds very obvious, but um I think every role I've I've been in, you know, people have seen how kind of fanatical I am about the products I lead. I think I've never been as fanatical as with Fitbit because it genuinely, genuinely makes a difference. And, and we've been doing actually as a team a bit of work recently on purpose. So it's quite interesting to that this topic cropped up. And you know, connecting deeply to um to it for me has helped me. Uh, navigate I think the market getting a lot more crowded a lot of free uh, subscription free services coming into the market and crowding that part out and just really understanding who we are as a brand and a team within it all Um, so that's number one and then I think number two just 
the idea that we're delivering something greater than ourselves, mm-hmm. not to sound too worthy, but you know, the idea we're actually helping people just make small changes every day. We can talk about that and we can, I suppose, make sense of it when things are tough in the business. Um, we know that what we're trying to do is play a long game to help people's lives. So yes, a hundred percent would, would, would agree with that statement of uh, connecting to purpose makes me a better leader. Definitely. And, and I've been quite fascinated by, uh, lockdown. I mean, I, I know what, what are we in year three? I can't even remember where we are. And and I know that it's not, you know, it, it's changed a lot now, but it still had an impact on us. How how has lockdown impacted you as a leader and and your team? Well, I would say um, the first year was was actually, and it sounds weird, but it was great. I mean, first of all. You know, we were very lucky. I, a lot of people went out and bought Fitbits. Yeah. You know, gyms closed. We launched this this absolute killer new product called Charge Four. We just launched the Charge Five. Um, so it just it just tends to do very well because it's our mid priced part of the brand. So we, everything was was going. Um, I think we got the tone right as well. Um, in terms of being helpful, you know, providing a lot of services for free. You know, it wasn't a time to start building our subscription service. We just made it all free during that time. So I think we we found a lot of meaning and purpose in the first, and, and maybe it was quite a lot of adrenaline, I think, as well during the first year and, and maybe even a degree of novelty. So we were, you know, I feel very lucky that we weren't as a sector as hard hit as other sectors during that period. Of course, we had the usual things we needed to tighten up on in terms of spend and all of that. Year two was a bit tougher. I mean, I think we, you know, we had done some resilience training as a team going into lockdown, just even before it ever started. And I think we we decided to reboot that because people were were, were spending, you know, 11, 12 hours back to back on meetings mm-hmm. and we work with the US as well. So there was, uh, you know, even though we didn't label it as burnout, I think there was quite a degree of that creeping in. And, and personally as well, I think, you know, I, I had probably lost a little bit of the habits of the, you know, the mm-hmm. fake commute in the morning, the running, all of that. And um, so I think that was a bit tougher for us, um, and, and particularly when the, the the economy's been a bit tougher. I think now that we're back, what is really interesting is the days we're in the office feel basically like we're social. Yeah. It feels like we're out on a night out, and you know maybe we don't get as much work done, but we're having breakfast, we're having dinners together, we're chatting, we're having a laugh. But the role of the office has completely changed. But you can't sustain that for five days, so it'll be really interesting where people pan out and, and people are getting their routines back now, but it's been a tough t- last 12 months, I think would be my summary. It's funny though, that that whole concept of people socializing at work, because I've spoken to quite a lot of either agency leaders or uh, brand leaders, and it's almost like that's a bad thing. But actually, if we reframe that as that's such a positive thing of when you do get to see people in person, we celebrate it and we have, have fun and, and we talk and we connect. And actually, it can it can kind of last several months if it has to, you know, that sort of feeling of connection. I agree. And I, and I don't think we've got, you know, I think hopefully what the pandemic has done, and certainly from my perspective, is we can't go into work and wear these masks anymore and, you know, not be genuine. I mean, just let people in. And, and I've had deeper conversations with people on my team and in around me since lockdown than I've ever had, because I think we realize that just everything is just really fragile. Mm. And uh, just make the most of those relationships. So, um, you know, maybe this is just a bit about having worked for Fitbit, but I think it feels to me like there's some real positives coming out of this at the end. Definitely. And if we look at the wider marketing industry, what's exciting you at the moment? Well, so so the biggest thing that's exciting me at the moment, and, and it's it's something being now part of Google that I'm seeing, is is a, a true lasting commitment to, to diversity and inclusion. Mm. 
And it's it's something that, um, and, and unstereotyping, because I think that the work that's being done, and I follow Eleni Santos quite a lot on on LinkedIn, who I've worked with actually at Unilever, um, and I should have mentioned her earlier as a, as a really great leader. I think the work that is being done to unstereotype communications, um, have true equity, um, inclusion, diversity in communications is the thing that excites me most because what we know is if if we make life and communications better for everyone, it will benefit us as a company. And the, the biggest thing I think that's happened recently in Google on that is the is the feature that um, Google brought in on Google Pixel called Real Tone, where photographs of all skin colors and skin tones are actually true to the original tone of the skin, rather than much darker, much more blurred in the past. And the work has, you know, it's been just recently acknowledged at Cannes, but it's not it's not just because of it was it got an award that I really like it, but it's it's a very earnest and very sincere piece of research and development that's now come into the fray. So I think where that's what's most exciting me, which is true, not just lip service, but true um, equity, inclusion, diversity, um, features, benefits, communication, and a long a long term commitment to it. And I think I can see that at Google. They've really got off the fence on that one, and this, they're not going to turn back. And actually, they, they definitely do walk the walk and not just talk the talk. I, I think we've seen that, and you know, not not once you sort of just talk about can and be that person, but honestly, Google's party, they, they held a, a pride party there, and it was the I think one of the most uh, inclusive sort of parties that I've ever been to, they had really thought about all of the detail and I, and, and it matters, you know, even just going down into the, the bathrooms, the way that they'd labeled the bathrooms and it was, it was so inclusive. And, and I think uh, people are really uh, respecting that about Google. So absolutely. So what kind of leader would you say that you are? Ooh, <laughs> I feel like this is one of the ones where I'm going to just come across as pompous or something <laughs> like that. Um, no, I, I mean, what kind of leader am I? Um, I would say I lead a lot by high energy and transfer of energy. So I think, you know, inspiring teams and lighting a fire in them is is one of my deeply held beliefs that it gets you through the tough stuff. So I'm, I'm a very optimistic leader. So um, even if something is is looking like it's 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 going to go horribly wrong or the proverbials are going to hit the fan i think you know i can always see a way through to well here's the good we can take out of this so i think that's helped me i think you know deliver i think really good results over the years but at the same time, what I like to do is is just make sure to keep an eye on the future as well. So I, I I try to kind of, of course, inspire in the here and now, you know, make sure you get the positive energy going, but really give a sense of where we're going in two to three years time, because um, the horizons that marketers work in, genuinely, we are always building for the future. There's, yeah, you know, I, I kind of feel like, the, yeah, there is a short, such, such a thing as short term sales driving, but it has to be linked into something longer. So I think I, I really have a good eye on the future as well. And, you know, I suppose just really approachable would be the other thing I'd say. I mean, you know, most of, I think most of my communication all day long, I've got about 30 people, so I can, I can talk to any of them at any time, but it's mostly by WhatsApp, by calls, by, you know, it, we're not sort of scheduling meetings or there's no sort of standing on ceremony because working in tech is chaos, right? It's organized and controlled chaos, but it's chaos. So anything can go wrong at any time. So you've just got to leave the ego outside Ego does not play any part in, in how I manage as a leader. I could probably benefit from a little bit more ego in some situations, but we're always learning. But I think um, in terms of things changing all the time, it doesn't benefit you because you can't move quickly if you get entrenched in your own view or what it, what it means you're losing. So I think it's sort of a mixture of that, you know, high energy, 
I on the future try to be quite humanistic in my approach and make sure that I'm, you know, we're very relaxed with each other and then um, and then just leave the egos outside. We're, we're a very collaborative team here in the EMEA team. So we were just reflecting on that the other day. So fingers crossed it will stay that way. And, and that openness and trust allows people to be vulnerable, which, of course, then means that there is even more trust, which which, um, as you say, is really important in, in the environment that you're in. Yeah. And, and one thing that, you know, that's really reinforced that for me recently, Tamara, is um, doing the Marketing Academy Fellowship because Sherilyn, and who runs that, who's just amazing, you know, she's always reminded us that, you know, you shouldn't wear a mask into work and look behind the mask. So we've started bringing in or I've started bringing this into my team where every time we get together on a monthly monthly forum where I'm doing my, you know, all of the management updates, you know, we, we always take 15 minutes at the beginning to break into groups and do a behind the mask session. And, you know, exactly your point, vulnerability, trust, you know, we get to know each other, um, even though we can't always be co-located. And we're massive fans of Sherilyn at the Genuine Humans podcast here. She's just released hers last, uh, actually th- this week. So uh, you can you can add that to your podcast Ooh, list. It's her own yeah. personal story and it's, it's just wonderful. She is such an inspiring woman. Absolutely. So last question, just in in this section, I would love to know what what are you most uh, proud of, like either in or out of work? Well, I I think outside of work, probably my my relationships with my family and my close friends. I mean, we, you know, I I think that what's lovely about kind of the way, you know, I've traveled around is I've always kept my, you know, old friends. But I think there's a real blurring of boundaries between family and friends. You know, I've got two older brothers, a younger sister. We're we are just thick as thieves, you know, the four of us, we are just, you know, we're just a gang and we all live in completely different um, geographies now. But I think, I think family relationships for me is something that I've been very proud of. And, you know, it's, it, as with any family, it's tested mm-hmm. at certain times, but we've, we've always had that real deep value from my parents as well, just to, no matter what happens, stick together. Um, and I have that with my, with my old friends as well. Um, you know, I've got three really, really close friends from, from when I was in uni and, and then, you know, and I think, I think, you know, personally, probably quite proud of the kind of resilience and, and kind of, I suppose, being able to flex my career. I, I didn't plan it that way, as I'm sure you always hear from people. But I think it's it's now a feature for me that I'm able to really pivot to different types of challenges and roles. And I think I've kind of jumped into the storm as such on on a number of challenges, not knowing where they're going to go. But, you know, it's a far more interesting story to write later. Mm. If you work in a turnaround or in an area that's really choppy, rather than going into something where you just, you know, a seat in a chair. There's not many roles like that in marketing, to be fair, these days anyway. But if there were, I, you know, I think I would run a mile from them. So I just, I just kind of proud of, yeah, of keeping that strength, I guess, um, through, and, and delivering really good results through, through you know, very choppy waters. Yes, you mentioned actually that resilience that your, uh, your family helped instill in you from those early days. So it sounds like that's what you're able to lean, lean into. Yes, absolutely. You've just pointed that out now, so I've now realised it. Yeah. This is the purpose of this podcast. It's therapy. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. I think it's until you, you don't often have an opportunity to sit down and consider your story from the beginning to where you are now. And it's, it's interesting to pull those themes out. And I think it's quite inspiring as well for people coming into the industry to hear that it, you know, it doesn't have to be, oh, this is your lifelong dream and, you, you know, and this is, what you did at uni and this is the very straight career path that you took I think to hear these stories and 
uh, about people making brave choices and unexpected choices, I think it makes people think, well, maybe I can do that. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, after lockdown, you know, you actually social confidence, by the way, after lockdown, I walked into a room of Google people, because now it's this big, mm-hmm. you know, quite scary world for us. We were, you know, kind of medium sized teenage brand Fitbit before. And now we're in this room, you know, and I had to remind myself, you know, I mean, exactly what you're saying, Wendy, which was, you know, we, we're all resilient in our own way. I've done a lot of things, but I just walked into the room and I said, right, I'm just going to go and talk to everyone I can. And, you know, do this again from scratch because, you know, that's what we do. And this is a completely unknown situation for me again, which is it's, it's integrating into a new company. So, um, so no, when I, I've done talks recently with, say, graduates or mm-hmm. people in their early career and said to them, you know, don't do a career plan every year. Just do it every few years because you got to, you know, have that room for serendipity yeah. and the stuff that scares you. And by the way, the stuff that goes wrong, too, you know, I've, I've made some some mistakes in my career and. They've been probably the best um, learning moments. So um, definitely, uh, yeah, would, would buy into what you said. So we'll move from that now until the section that um, of the podcast where we get a bit more personal. Some may say frivolous. So let's just launch in. So tell us what's your idea of a perfect weekend and if you have any guilty pleasures. Oh, great. OK, well, I can tell you last weekend was pretty close to perfect. I flew to London, marched in the Pride Parade with my brother. I um, went out for a beautiful dinner to one of my favorite restaurants, Barafina uh, Tapas, uh, with two girlfriends of mine, gossiped for the entire night in a, in a wine bar run by women and run and produced oh, by women. Fabulous. Interesting. And then on Sunday, I went to Brixton Academy to see LCD Sound System. So this was like, I think I came back really, really... Um, tired let's call mm-hmm. it but um it was it was just perfect um I probably would have been made better if if um if my other half was with me but um we couldn't make that it was a so. joyous pride as well wasn't it? I was what um marching with my my girlfriend and her two boys and it was just just such a it was yeah it was wonderful you could tell joyous yeah. is just the perfect word for it it was just everyone uh, was so friendly and welcoming and you know just I think so happy to be there and uh yeah it was it was it was incredible I mean London is is probably the best pride anyway but it was um um it was it was really incredible and and in terms of guilty pleasures you know I, I I absolutely adore rock music. Most of my friends around me do not. So I think, you know, it's it's just I, I'm always sort of I, I went to see um, Guns N' Roses, the Eagles, got a number of other yeah, rock bands I can't think of at the moment recently. And um, it really is, you know, trying to pull favours to get people to go with me. <laughs> I like a bit of rock. I'm right there with you. If we could have a peek inside your fridge, what would we find? Would it all be fruit and veg healthy stuff so well, i guess working for fit but i probably shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> but no so so yeah i mean i'll put it like this i i we're, we're very lucky at google that we get our, our food at work so there's probably not much in it apart from yeah proper like fruit and, and stuff for work but I, i'm having a housewarming party this weekend so there's quite a bit of vodka in there too. <laughs> but, um, that's unusual um so i think um a bit of a bit of lo- lots of breakfast things i I rarely, rarely eat at home, to be right. quite honest, uh, these days. But um, but I, you know, it's it's one of my resolutions is to get back to that, back to what we were talking about about lockdown. You know, home cooked meals. Um, you know, we've got we're really lucky that we get meals at work. But you know, it's it's doing that in the evening. I think is you know kind of helps you um do that a little bit more. But yeah, so I think I'll get the vodka out after this weekend and then back in with the uh, the salads and everything <laughs> else. So. Wonderful. And if you're sort of 
not eating at home as much. Do you have a bit of a favorite restaurant, whether that's an all-time favorite or a shout out for a local one? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's the, the the best brunch place I think I'm go, I go to in Dublin is called Press Cafe. It's in the National Print Museum. So you can see all these beautiful old prints from the original print press in oh, Dublin. Wow. Uh, but have have a just the most gorgeous um kind of almost home cooked brunch at the same time uh, which is amazing and I'm I'm I always I promised I'd keep it a secret so now I've said it but let's, let's, <laughs> you won't be able to get a table now they're really amazing and um and I think you know there's this I mean my favorite tapas place in Dublin is called Tapas de Lola I'm just a tapas person I was at Barafina in London last weekend Tapas de Lola in Dublin but yeah there's some really good ones and and I think what's really interesting I'm going to West Cork on my holidays this year is is all of the kind of whole food truck scene that's popped yes. up in Ireland. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I came back after 17 years and it's definitely, it was all about Michelin stars and money and all of that back then, which I wasn't really into anyway. But then, but this time around, it's it's much more about the ramen trucks and the really interesting kind of new and, and uh, kind of, you know, world foods, I think, that are going on around, especially around beach resorts in Ireland. So look forward to that. This it's so sociable as well, isn't it? You can kind of try different things and yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So you've visited a, uh, a lot of different countries. Are there any countries that you're absolutely dying to to visit now that we can sort of travel a little bit more? Yeah, I, I've got a fascination with going to Cambodia because um, I think obviously because of the, the the old temples and you know Angkor Wat and the you know everything that's I guess hugely interesting from the the very far past, but also you know some of the more recent stories and and you know kind of I suppose more more tragic mm-hmm. history of the recent part it is it is meant to be absolutely beautiful so i think definitely a kind of cambodia lao vietnam trip is on the on the cards i can't believe i haven't made it yet and then kind of on the the way way other end of the spectrum um in terms of a nature break i think costa rica has got to be on the list i don't know if you've ever been haven't, but no. it's just everyone i've spoken to just raves about it and um and i did do you know when i lived in italy and you know a bit in the uk i did quite a bit of hiking mm-hmm. so i think it's just yeah those they, those places absolutely fascinate me you know, and I think I think cities, uh, you know, I've been to places like, say, Buenos Aires or New Delhi or, you know, I, I want to get to know them a bit better because there's some real uh, some cities that I haven't really spent a lot of time in that I want to get to know better as well. Now we can travel again. That's quite a long list. Yeah. <laughs> and if you if you had to limit yourself to one type of exercise for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, running. Definitely. I absolutely love running. And it's, um, we did a 10k recently with work and I hadn't trained for it. So I was kind of like, oh, you know, 10ks, I used to do these without any problem. And, and I think it was just pure adrenaline because of, of, again, events are back and it's, it's just, yeah, I just absolutely love it. And you can do it anywhere. So I've often, you know, started a weekend away with friends by arriving an hour earlier than them and just going for a run and things. So you can do it anywhere. And I, I would, yeah, I, I, Hopefully I'll be running till I'm 90, 95, let's say. That's my plan anyway. Sounds like a great plan. How would your friends describe you? I'd say they would describe me as very loyal, number one. I think loyalty always comes up very compassionate. I I seem to kind of be there for them in terms of, you know, I I guess I think they've said to me that I can empathize in a really genuine Mm -hmm. way. So I think, you know, really kind of there for them. I, I think definitely life and soul of the party um that is gone a little bit on the back burner the last couple of years we'll see how my housewarming goes this weekend. um and uh and and yeah just somebody just relentlessly optimistic and yeah just just always seeing the sunny side of things and making people laugh fabulous and our, our last one karaoke go-to song <laughs> is it is it going to be a rock one do you have a do you have a go-to karaoke are you a karaoke fan 
Well, yeah, I, I did one recently at um, my other half's work too. I'm not sure you totally appreciated it, but it was um, Son of a Preacher Man nice. from uh, Dusty Springfield. So it was, um, I, I, I spared them the high notes. I'll just put it like that. <laughs> but I'm a very enthusiastic karaoke singer. So yeah, probably that or Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Fabulous. We're coming to the end now. So I just wanted to check, is there anything that, you didn't get to talk about that you'd like to 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 share or any closing thoughts I'll I'll give you the platform great well thanks I mean really just a big thank you for for doing this because it sounds like there's a bit of a gap in the market for just a general conversation about who people are rather than just focusing on you know how good they are at marketing or otherwise so I think I, I just think thanks for doing that and I think you know the more we can do to promote people just being themselves at work you know I'm definitely going to start keep banging that drum because in tech uh, and in Google, and especially, there is just no time for anything else. We've got to take the full value and full energy of people. So I think, you know, the, the thing that I think being on this podcast, but also I think the journey we're on with Google and with Fitbit tells me is that there's just really no room and no time for anything else. Just be yourself and, and you know, and demand that from the people around you or your bosses, you know, as well, your managers, because I think that that, that to me feels like it's going to release most of the, the human potential that we have in, in the workplace and, and get us through what I think is going to be an even faster, blistering pace of change over the coming years. So just, you know, being hu- really, really human, uh, title of the podcast, I think will, will get us through that. So just just a kind of a closing thought. And obviously, you guys are really at the, the forefront of that by doing this podcast. So thank you for doing it. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.